Good morning, Grace Fellowship. I'm Pastor Tim, and glad that you're here on this first Sunday of 2020, which always gives us at the beginning of a new year, now we're at a new decade, uh, to think about, to reconsider, to reevaluate where we are in our journey, personal journey, and this morning particularly, thinking about the things that matter most. I can't think of anything that matters more than your journey with Jesus and what he is calling you to, and that's my prayer for you in 2020, that you would experience all the life that Jesus has for you, and that's why we're in this series. Before we get into um, the next part of this series, I want to uh, talk about what's next for me. In 25 days, I am leaving for uh, Kilimanjaro in Tanzania. Uh, If you were here in November, you were a part of uh, the Chosen Project, where we sponsored 120 children in an area called Kalapata, Kenya. And uh, if you were not a part of that, that's why I'm climbing uh, I believe in uh, what we're doing here, and uh, we have these packets at Connection Point. These children, that we still have children that need to be sponsored, they're all from Kalapata, so you can be a part of this project where we are bringing clean water and education and health care in the name of Jesus to this area that has none of that. And so uh, Jesus said, if we've done it to the least of these, we've done it to them. We're opening up doors for the gospel to establish and strengthen the churches in that area. And so if you have questions about that or interested in doing that, uh, those packets are a connection point uh, this morning. So I'm just thinking if I can climb 19,000 feet, maybe you can sponsor a child. I don't know, maybe. So uh, anyway, uh, that's why I'm climbing it, and that's why I'm, sponsor, uh, that's why I'm challenging you uh, to sponsor. So uh, we started this last week on, uh, focusing, uh, refocusing on the things that matter, and this is how I worded it, life with Jesus in community for the world. Life with Jesus in community for the world. You want your life to matter. You want to matter in life. And there's nothing more that matters more than being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing the things that Jesus does. We call that uh, discipleship. Discipleship. Jesus calls us to follow him in discipleship. Now, last week I mentioned that in his ministry, he posed, he asked over 300 questions. Jesus offered more questions than he did answers in his ministry. And one of the questions that he used most is found in John, the first time it's found in John chapter 1, where he turns to people who would follow him and says, what do you want? What do you want? At the core of who you are is what you want. Friends, Jesus came to give us eternal life uh, in heaven and abundant life on earth. He offers it to everyone. He will not withhold it from anyone. But you have to want it. I believe that Jesus is the most compelling individual in the history of mankind with the most compelling message and the most compelling life, but he he will not impose himself on you. He offers it. He will not withhold it. But you read the encounters that Jesus had in the Gospels, people who contemplated the opportunity and considered the cost and walked away. When eternity is at stake, why would Jesus allow people to do that? Because Jesus understood If you didn't want it, you wouldn't pursue it. And if you don't pursue it, you will not experience it. So what what do you want? Last week, we looked at the first line in this mission, life with Jesus and what it means to live a life with Jesus. This morning, we're looking at a life in community. You were created for for relationship, redeemed for relationship. Uh, The quality of your life is rooted in the quality of your relationships. Uh, Years ago, Jim Rohn, a guy by the name of Jim Rohn, a leadership guru and a life coach, Uh, asserted that you become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You think about the people that you expose your life to, that you give your life to, the five people that you spend the most time with, you become uh, the average of those people. We like to think that we're independent people. We are who we want to be. 
Not true, friends. You are socialized far more than you want to admit. Parents understand this. Uh, that's why they ask ridiculous, intrusive, unreasonable questions like, where are you going and who are you going with? Right? Why are they so nosy? Because they've, ex- they've learned this from their own experience. You become like the people you hang with. And that doesn't change when you, be- when you move into adulthood. Friends, you spend time with negative, cynical people, and you find yourself complaining more in life. And hopefully, at some point in your life, you realize, I- that's not the person I want to become. And so you distance yourself from that influence, and you try to expose yourself to more positive influence. And so wise parents pose that question, what do you want? The friends that you're hanging out with, is that, is that the kind of person you want to become? Is that the kind of future you want to build for yourself? What do you want? In John chapter 1, again in Mark chapter 3, the primary purpose of following Jesus was simply being with Jesus, hanging out with Jesus, doing the Jesus life with Jesus. We looked at that last week. I would encourage you, if you didn't hear that, uh, to go to our website and listen to that. Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus does. And here's what happens when you do that, when you follow Jesus. You become friends. John 15, 15, Jesus, after three years of doing life with Jesus... Jesus turns to those, uh, those, those men, and he doesn't call them disciples. He doesn't call them followers or apprentices. He calls them friends. Think about the friends that have impacted your life and shaped you in ways that no other relationship could. You cannot overestimate the power of friendship and the way that it shapes your life. Even the Bible says this. Abraham was called a friend of God. Moses talked to God as one friend speaks to another. The book of Proverbs is filled with wisdom about friendship. And the last word Jesus used to describe the relationship with his followers was friend. This morning, I want to talk to you about friendship, and not just friendship, but spiritual friendship. Spiritual friendship. This is not a message about how to get people to like you or to increase your followers on Instagram. This is about pursuing a relationship. Here's how we define spiritual friendship. A relationship rooted in Jesus for the purpose of becoming like Jesus. Do you have a friend that is rooted in their relationship with Jesus that can help you become like Jesus? Who prays for you? Who prays with you? Who do you talk to about what God is teaching you at this stage in your life or what you believe God is leading you into? Who knows your struggles and your temptations? Who knows your dreams and aspirations? Who's helping you in this journey with Jesus to become more like Jesus? And of course, this has to be reciprocal. Who are you helping in the pursuit of life rooted in Jesus? Now, not everyone uh, can be that friend for you. You don't need everyone to be that friend for you, but you need at least one of your friends to be that friend, to be in that relationship. Do you have that friend? Are you that friend? Aristotle, thousands of years ago, as, as did others, uh, by the way, defined the various kinds of friends that all of us have, and it hasn't changed much in the last 3,000 years. One, you have fun friends. Uh, you have, you have friends that you hang out with, that you go to parties to, that uh, you invite over. That's why they're your friends, because you enjoy what they enjoy, and they're easy to be around with, be around, and they're, and they're fun to be with. And so when you invite someone over uh, to have a good time, or you want to go out and have a good time, these are the friends that you call. You have fun, friends are fun. Everyone should have a friend like this. Everyone should be a friend like this, because you want fun friends. You also have useful friends. Uh, these are the, the get-the-job-done friends. These are the, jo- these are the friends that help each other out. You have friends uh, that you use, right? Don't feel guilty about that. They use you too, okay? Uh, 
this is the friend who will help you move furniture once. <laughs> and then they will be busy, always busy. But that's why you need a lot of useful friends, okay? Uh, to, have, to have this kind of friend is awesome and necessary. To have a friend that you can call on when you need some help. Everyone needs one. Everyone needs to be one. And by the way, I think Jesus had these kind of friends. He went to parties. He had people that he helped. He had people that helped him. But the ultimate priority of life for Jesus was to become what Aristotle called virtuous friends. Virtuous friends. Free, uh, Jesus would have called these friends or disciples or followers. And this is where uh, you begin to thin the herd. This is where your relational pool gets shallow. Because this is the kind of relationship that calls you something, to something better and to something greater in your life. To something uh, a much richer and more important uh, in your life. This is the friend in whom you see something that you want. They see something in you that you want. And together you strive for what you want. And so this is a relationship not out of pleasure or fun or usefulness. Uh, they, they, you can have these elements in this relationship, but this relationship goes much deeper than either of those two friends. It's not a relationship out of convenience. This kind of relationship doesn't fall into your lap. It's a, it's a relationship of purpose. It's not an incidental relationship. It's an intentional relationship, it's something, which is to say there's a cost to this relationship. This is something that you have to pursue which poses a, a, a problem, particularly in our culture, because there's a lot of things that work against the pursuit or the development of this kind of relationship. American culture conditions us to think and act as individuals. We do our own thing. We feel like we're connected, but how come, how come sociologists call our culture the crisis of loneliness? We've been more connected than ever, and yet we feel more isolated than ever. Here's the deal, friends. Friends, friends are voluntary relationships. You didn't choose the family you were born in. They were given to you. You don't choose the people you work with. They were given to you. But a friendship is something that you choose on your own, and they choose you. Friendship is a voluntary relationship. It calls us to something we're not obligated to give. And so you have to want this kind of friendship. It can start and it can stop at any time. It can come and go uh, for, for any reason. And so for our purpose this morning, the fact is you will never follow Jesus on your own. You will never follow Jesus on your own. You isolate yourself from the community of God and you will compromise your faith and you will water down your commitment and you will stray away from the, the life Jesus has called you to. We, you weren't designed for it. We're not equipped for it. Jesus did not call you to an isolated journey. He called 12 disciples to do life together. But our, again, our culture fights against... Let me give you two enemies of this kind of friendship. Time. Time. Pursuing the with Jesus life requires time. To develop this kind of relationship requires time. And the fact... Anybody busy here? Anybody busy? And so this kind of relationship takes time to develop, and it requires time to maintain. It re friendship requires trust, and trust requires time. Time is not a renewable resource, and so you have to choose to give your time to the things that matter most to you, and that's just it. You will give your time to the things that matter most. So time is a barrier. And then the second one is honesty. Honesty. We would call this vulnerability or openness or the willing to, willingness to let ourselves be known. And this is a challenge in any relationship, particularly the relationship that I'm talking about this morning, because sometimes a lot of us, a lot of times, maybe most of the time, we'd rather, we, here's the, we would rather be admired than known. 
we would rather be admired than known. Uh, we've all said this at some point in our lives, that if they really knew me, they wouldn't like me. And so the strategy for us in relationship is to let them in just enough for them to like us, but not enough to really know us. I've said before in many sermons, we talk about relationships a lot. You cannot be fully loved without being fully known. Because again, we've said this to ourselves. Yeah, they say they love us, but they don't really know us. And so we don't really value that, that love because we're, we know we're hiding from them. The awesome thing about the gospel is that Jesus knows us and loves us anyway, right? And he calls us to at least one or two of those relationships that can do the same for us, to be Jesus to us, to know us and to love us. Now, let me stop here for just a second because there are some in this room, I know it because I've been there. Some of us are thinking, I don't really need this. Tim, I've got plenty of people in my life. I'm doing just fine. Me and Jesus are good. And you know I'm going to push against that, right? Because that's that's not what we read in the Gospels. And here's a practical thing to this, friends. Good times always come to an end. And at some point, what you needed from this person, what this person needed from you is no longer needed. Friendships come and go, fun and useful friendships, but when life gets real, when life falls apart, when you need a friend that sticks closer than a brother, fun and useful friends are fleeting and flimsy. Those kind of relationships, those kind of friendships are voluntary, and so they're not strong enough to last a lifetime, and they are not deep enough to go to the purpose to which you were called. And about a spiritual, spiritual friendships can be fun and they can be useful. I mean, you're helping each other pursue Jesus and you can enjoy one another. But the uniqueness about this particular relationship is the depth, the depth of what you're pursuing and the goodness of what you're after requires this kind of commitment from a spiritual friend, a relationship rooted in Jesus for the purpose of becoming like Jesus. And again, this friendship is not, it's not about either one of you. It's about finding someone who wants the life with Jesus that you want as, uh, and then pursuing that life together. So the question is, what does this kind of life, what does this kind of relationship uh, look like? Well, one of the greatest stories, I think, that, uh, in the Bible that illustrates this kind of friendship is the one that we find between Jonathan and David. Jonathan, in the Old Testament, was the son of King Saul. Uh, he was the prince of Israel. And then David was a shepherd boy who was ordained by God at some point to assume the throne instead of Jonathan. So this makes this relationship really interesting. I, Jonathan, am the son of a king. By all rights, the throne is mine. I am next in line for the throne. But God now has decided to take that throne and give it to you, David. Sounds like the makings of a really good friendship, right? This is how the writer describes this relationship. John, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18, as soon as he had finished, David had finished speaking to Saul, the king, the soul of Jonathan, Saul's son, was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Now, modern people who don't understand the full story think, bromance, but that's not what this story is talking about. Sure, they loved each other. But let's back up a a, a few verses. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 50. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. David was not this weak, meek little shepherd boy. He was a heroic, heroic, courageous, fearless fighter. We also know that he was 
passionate about his God. He loved his God with all his heart, soul, and mind. And he killed lions, tigers, and bears. Okay? So now the nation of Israel is being hounded by the Philistines. And particularly at this point, this nine-foot ogre named Goliath is taunting the armies of Israel. He's teasing them and humiliating them. And so David comes on the scene and says, what's up with this? What are, you, what are you people doing? Why are you listening to this? Why are you letting him talk to you like this? I'm not going to fool with this. And so David confronts Goliath all by himself with a slingshot, one rock between the eyes, cuts off his head, delivers it back to the army, all in a day's work. That's David. That's just what he does. Okay. So what we, what's, what's less familiar is, is Jonathan's story. What's Jonathan, what's Jonathan's story? Well, sometime earlier, we're not quite sure how early, but the Philistines, they've always been doing this to the Israelites. And at some point, the, the Israelite army is again paralyzed and defeated by what, how they're being treated. And so Jonathan says, I am done with this. This is ridiculous. And so he grabs his armor bearer, the guy that carries his sword, and he says to his, his armor bearer, let's go beat these guys up. That's my translation of that. But he's, he says, well, we're, we're done with this. And so Jonathan takes his one sword and his one armor bearer, his one assistant, and he confronts the enemy all by himself. This is what happens. Chapter 14, Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of, a, in an area of about a half an acre. He turns the whole enemy army into disarray and panic. They're fleeing the area. And so what, what Jonathan did earlier, David did later. Both of them are fierce and fiery fighters. They confront trouble. They don't tolerate this kind of taunting. They're defenders of the people. They both have resolve and determination and courage and strength. And so later on, when Jonathan catches wind of this David guy and what he did, he says, yes, that's my guy. That's, that's, that's what I'm talking about. And so when you see this verse, that Jonathan's soul was knit to the soul of David, what is he saying? What is he saying? A rock between the eyes? Dude, you got to teach me how to use that slingshot. That's awesome. That's I mean, awesome, really. I mean, you, 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 20 guys with one sword? Are you, are you kidding? Well, I had, I had an armor bearer, but yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, you're awesome. No, you're awesome. What, what, what are they saying to each other? And, and ladies, I'm sorry, I don't know how to translate this into femininity, but the, you know, the, the principle applies to you just as well. Because what Jonathan and David is doing here is they're looking at each other, and each of them are saying to the other one, this, I want to be more like that. I want to be more like that. I want to be more courageous. I want to be more heroic. What you just did, that's what I, what I see in you. That's, what, that's, a lot of, that's the kind of friend I want to run with. That's the kind of friend I want to fight with and fight for. We're fighting for the same thing. Why don't we fight together? And celebrate recovery. You're encouraged to find someone who has the recovery that you need and the recovery that you want. And then you link up with that person and you learn from that person because you realize you're fighting the fight that I'm fighting and I, don't, I cannot fight this fight alone. And so let's fight this fight together. 
Friends, this is no incidental relationship. David and Jonathan did, you know, Jonathan didn't say to David, hey, you work for my dad, so maybe we could hang out sometime. David actually married the sister of Jonathan. Maybe he's, you know, this was no, you know, why you're my brother-in-law. So yeah, maybe we could be friends. That's not that at all. It's these two men saying to each other, looking at each other and saying, I want what you have. You're fighting the fight that I'm fighting. Let's fight this together. Do you have that kind of friend? When it comes to following Jesus, you don't need everyone to be that kind of friend, but you need at least one of your friends to be that kind of friend. Maybe two of those people in your life on the same journey you're traveling. So what does that kind of friend look like? I'm going to give you four characteristics of this spiritual friend, but before we, we get into that, I just want to say to, to those of you in this room, for some of you, some of you, you don't have that kind of friend, and you're not quite sure what that friend looks like. And so I'm going to give you these four things, and you look at those four things, and you pray about who is it in my life, or who do I need to be pursuing that could be that spiritual friend for me, because this is what that friend should look like. For some of you, you need to be better at being a spiritual friend. And so these characteristics, uh, you need to look at for yourself. What do you need to be pursuing and developing more in your life so that you can be a better spiritual friend. And for those of you that that think that this doesn't apply to you, I just want to say, don't live in denial of your current reality. I have never met a thriving follower of Jesus following on their own and following by themselves. Jesus did not call you to that. He did not equip you for that. And so this applies to everybody. Four characteristics that you need in a spiritual friend. The first one is affinity. Affinity. Jonathan and David wanted the same thing. And they saw in each other what they wanted and pursued what they wanted together. They, a, common, a common goal, a common life, a common mission, a common purpose, a common vision. Here's, here's, here's what Aristotle said about virtuous friends. He said, he said is it, it is impossible to find a virtuous friend if you are not pursuing the virtuous life. Now, Aristotle was not a believer, so what would, how would Jesus say that? I think Jesus would say, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you will not find a friend following Jesus. Okay, if you are not pursuing the Jesus life, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be nearly impossible for you to, to develop this kind of relationship that's following the Jesus life, because here's the deal, friends. This friend isn't going to do it for you. You can't find a spiritual friend and, and, and ask them to pull you along. That, it doesn't work that way. You need to find someone who's pursuing Jesus the way you want to pursue Jesus, the way you're pursuing Jesus, and, and, and realize you can't do this on your own. We both want the same thing. So, so let's help each other pursue the same thing. Affinity. Here's the second thing, availability. Again, this goes back to time. Friendship is a voluntary relationship, which means it can get pushed out at any time for any reason. And so it requires a huge dose of intentionality. You've said to people, people have said to you, hey, call me when you need me. We need those relationships. That's called a useful friend. And, but a spiritual friend is a deliberate friend, is an intentional friend uh, who makes you uh, not a means to an end, but an end in itself, because you're doing this together, which means I will be there regardless of the cost to me. I will be there when it requires some sacrifice. We can do fun together, and we can enjoy one another, and we can help each other grow. But this, there's something bigger involved here that we're striving for. Availability. Here's the third one, approachability. 
approachability. And here's a couple of things to be said about this. Friends, the Bible, the Bible teaches us to speak the truth in love. And so this works both ways in a spiritual friendship. You speak the truth in love. They speak the truth in love. Uh, there has to be a freedom to confront one another in love for the betterment of the other, for the betterment of both. This goes both to the question of being admired or being loved. Do you want somebody who just thinks you're awesome? Or do you want somebody who knows you and loves you anyway? Do you want somebody who knows you're not awesome, but thinks you're awesome enough to love? True spiritual friendship is able to handle difficult truth. If you are afraid to say what needs to be said, then it's a fun friendship or a useful friendship. It is not a spiritual friendship. And if you are afraid to hear what needs to be said, friends, approachability means you're honest enough to say what's real about yourself. James 5.17, confessing your faults to one another so that you may be healed. Honest enough to say what's real about you and humble enough to hear what's real about you. Honest enough to say it, humble enough to hear it. If you're easily offended, if you're always finding excuses, if you're always defending yourself, this, this kind of relationship will never work. It requires approachability, which also culminates in accountability. Accountability. And it, it, I, at this point, I think a lot of us mis, misunderstand accountability. You've said it, others have said it. You've got to hold me accountable to this. Will you please hold me accountable to this? And the answer to that question is no. No, I will not hold you accountable to that. I cannot hold you accountable to that. I can't, I can't make you do anything. Friends, I, you can lie to me anytime you want. Accountability works on your part. You decide that you're going to be accountable to me, that you're going to be honest with me, that you're going to listen to the truth about you and then pursue that truth for yourself. You've got to be accountable to the person that you want to be. And you've got to find that person to be accountable to. Do you want to be admired or do you want to be loved? What, what, what do you want? What do you want? Jesus said, I've called you friends. I've called you friends. Tim Keller describes spiritual friendship as someone who always lets you in and never lets you down. Always lets you in, never lets you down. Now, one of the most disturbing aspects of this verse, John 15, 15, is the context in which Jesus speaks these words. Here's the story, friends. All the disciples are together in the upper room. We're just hours away from the crucifixion. Jesus is teaching them some very important, deep spiritual truth. He's having conversations with them. And in the course of this, uh, this upper room discourse, he comes right out in the open and says, one of you is going to betray me. One of you will give me up. You're going to turn on me. You're going to turn against me. You're going to turn me in. Now, that's bad enough, but it, but it gets worse, friends. Immediately, everyone starts looking around the room because they didn't know who it was. Now, we, we know the story. Dude is Judas. He's got guilt written all over him. You can't see that? You know, I, but they, they, they didn't know. They had no idea. That's why they start looking around the room at each other. Is it me? Is it me? Is it you? I, I, that's why Peter looks at John and says, ask Jesus who it is, because we don't know who it is. And John says, I, you ask him. I don't want to ask him. And so they don't have a clue. Now, think about this. It's been three years. These guys have been together for three years. Daily contact and interaction and participation and engagement, cooperation in the mission of Jesus together. And they didn't know? 
Has, has that ever happened to you? Have, you? have you ever had a friend who fell off the spiritual wagon and you said to yourself, how did that happen? Where did that come from? I, I didn't have a clue. Or maybe that's happened to you. You've fallen off the spiritual wagon and no, nobody cared? Nobody took time to notice? If you have a fun friend, they're not going to notice. If you have a useful friend, they're not going to care. That's why we're talking about that this morning. Because you need someone in your life committed to following Jesus, who loves you but loves Jesus more, but is willing to join this journey with you so that you do not fall by yourself. Do you have this kind of friend? And are you this kind of friend? Think of how isolated and hidden Judas must have been for no one in three years to detect the kink in his armor, not to notice his struggle. That the, the work Judas had to do to conceal himself, the real self, how would things have been different for Judas had he had a friend, had he been that kind of friend that would have pursued the life Judas had been called to? A spiritual friend always lets you in and never lets you down who knows you and honors what they know, who loves you but is not impressed with you, who is honest and humble and pushes you to be a better Jesus follower because that's what they want to be, a better Jesus follower. Okay, commercial break. Uh, next Sunday night, we are launching Rooted. And if you don't have this kind of friend... If you want to be a better, this kind of friend, we are offering an opportunity to pursue relationship with others who are pursuing Jesus. And regardless of where you are on the spiritual journey, you will find someone at the same spot in your spiritual journey to join you in that journey. So if you're interested in Rooted uh, today, you can go to Connection Point. You can ask your questions. Let us help you take your next step in this journey with Jesus. And if you are brand new to the spiritual journey, if you haven't started your spiritual journey, I'm going to be at the front of the stage this morning. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to pray with you. Because, friends, there is nothing more important in your life than Jesus and your journey with Jesus together with Jesus' followers. So if you need help with that, I'll be here after, after the service. Ushers, we're moving into a time of communion. Uh, and this is really interesting. Uh, the Bible calls Jesus a friend of, you know what he called? He's a friend of? He's a friend of sinners. He's a friend of any sinners in the room? He's a friend of sinners. He's willing to go to the mat for you. In fact, he did with the cross. And this is what we celebrate. So let me read these words as we prepare our hearts to celebrate our friend. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your friendship. But Father, we can only experience that relationship to the depth that we are willing to give our lives to that relationship. So Father, I pray that the words that have been spoken this morning were your words calling us into a deeper journey with you and with each other. 
and we celebrate the opportunity to do that uh, at the Lord's table. Thank you for being our friend and inviting us to your table. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.